Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles open in the second Peter chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 12 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Very Creatively, Watch Out for False Teachers, Part 2. And we're going to pack together what we learned last time. And remember, we're, we're picking up where Peter is writing to, to warn the hassled believers of the hungry wolves that love to come against and from within the church. And he's really writing to strengthen and encourage healthy sheep. And that's what good, sound, biblical truth will do. It'll strengthen you. It'll uphold you. There's a Bible word. It'll edify you. But that word literally means to build you up. It, It will shore up your faith. It will build your faith. And let me remind you in Ephesians chapter 4, you can jot it down in verse 11. It says, and he, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Remember, wherever there are healthy sheep, there are always going to be hungry wolves nearby. Because Satan is not happy with Christian progress. He's not happy with the type of decisions that you and I make toward the Lord. He's not happy with spiritual growth. I mean, you might have even experienced this with some people that that maybe relatives or friends that aren't happy with spiritual growth. They're not happy with the new direction of your life. They're not happy with the new decisions. They're not happy you're not hanging with them anymore or that your life has become a, a conviction to their own sinful behaviors. Well, you multiply that you know, by hundreds and thousands, and in the spiritual realm, the devil wanting to destroy you is certainly not happy with any progress that you make, but especially the large amounts of progress that you're making. I mean, when you take to heart the things that we learned back in chapter one, remember? Turn back to chapter one of 2 Peter, where he says in verse five, but also for this very reason, giving diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. He said, when you begin to do this, notice what happens. If these things are yours, verse eight, and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul would say that anyone who desires to live godly will suffer persecution, So the desire to live godly and then the practice to live godly is going to bring a lot of opposition. When you take these things to heart, when you start adding to your faith, opposition will come. Sometimes our enemy uses discouragement. Other times he uses distractions. But ultimately he's trying to wipe us out and take us down. And so church, be careful not to be easily sidetracked. The word sidetracked literally means to be diverted or distracted from an immediate or an important issue. 
and I find no more important issue in our lives but to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's important to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus first, looking unto him as we learned in Hebrews, the author and the finisher of our faith, who the joy, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Turn over, hold your places here in Peter. We'll get to it in a moment. Turn over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. It's important, church, to keep our eyes firmly fixed upon Jesus first. And notice how Paul gives this order. Look at the order of things that he shares. This is, a, this is really developing what Jesus taught. Paul then says in verse 28, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves." Therefore, watch, and here's the admonition, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. There are these guards that we want to put up knowing that difficulties will come. Guards against spiritual weakness. Guards against wandering away. Guards against weariness. You know, it's interesting how quickly we become spiritually weak. How easy it is to simply get tired. A little time away from the word, a little neglect of prayer, a lot of spiritual battles and warfare. And before you know it, we're no, longer, we're no longer walking in the strength of the Lord. And then from weakness, what comes next? Wandering. I mean, you know how vulnerable you are when you're tired and when you're weak? How easy it is to be influenced? It can be so easy to stray away from the basics, to, to leave the basics for something that seems to be more important or more enticing, or, or more entertaining. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Not only from weakness to wandering, but now weariness. And I think that that's something that's been shared by a lot of us in this last season of life, weariness. There is that tendency in life and in Christian work, and battling against the flesh, that we get so busy serving and doing that we end up leaving our first love behind. And it just gets so wearying. Even though the Bible says, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap 
if we don't lose heart, but we do find ourselves getting weary and tired. And it's possible to find ourselves in very vulnerable places. Which brings us to back to 2 Peter chapter 2. Would you pick up with me in verse 12 where we left off last time? Speaking of these false teachers that had infiltrated the believers in one of their worst seasons, one of their most difficult seasons of life, he describes them in verse 12, but these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak of evil of things they do not understand. They speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. And they'll receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes filled with adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling, notice, unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Now, I went through today and reviewed the text and reviewed my notes again as I put these together weeks ahead of time, you know. And so I was looking again at the text and I found no less than 12 descriptions in this little section, no less than 12 descriptions of these false teachers. The first one you notice was speak evil of things they don't understand. Even though they, false teachers will want to give to you this great confidence and they just understand. And, and that's one of the things that they lean upon to influence you. But the reality is they're speaking of things they don't understand and speaking evil of the truths they don't understand. Not only that, notice they'll also utterly perish in their own corruption. So words like corruption, evil, they're going to receive the wages they're going to receive wages of their own unrighteousness. And then notice they use that phrase carousing in their own deceptions. But notice beforehand in verse 13 that they were carousing in the daytime. Now, you, you know that there, there is, carousing is another word for partying or hanging out. Usually people carouse in the evening under the cover of darkness. But he describes them as, man, they, don't, they have no shame. They're, they're willing to spend their whole lives, even in the light, they don't care. They're so confident in their own false teaching. They're so, they're so confident that they're not even going in, in the cover of darkness. It, it says in verse 13 that they're spots and they're blemishes. And as we'll get into this, we'll get into this in the text in a moment in the study, but they're spots and blemishes and now they're also reveling or carousing in their own deceptions all the while, they're feasting with you, sitting at the table with you, which speaks of the deep betrayal that comes when you find out the truth about them, where you gave them so much trust. Because all this stuff takes time, and it builds trust, so that through your trust, they can take advantage. So the Holy Spirit has strong and stern words for false teachers, for these that would come in and have no desire but to destroy the work of God in the people of God. Very stern, but this is what God thinks about those who would lead his people into false teaching. Now, remember this, right living, a life that's lived rightly comes from right thinking. What you believe will dictate how you behave. 
And right thinking is always based on right teaching, sound doctrine. But false teaching always leads to false living because it skews with giving you wrong thoughts about the character and nature of God. And as you read through verses 12 through 14 again, it's sad. This is so opposite of the life that's promised in Jesus. Not not only do they want to take you away from it, but, but this is the life they're living. It's like they have everything available to them in Christ. They've been exposed to the knowledge of Christ. They've even experienced the love of Christ, but instead still, for their own selfish reasons, have chosen to take advantage of people and live in self-imposed dishonesty. They're described as brute beasts or untrained animals, living life wild and recklessly. And they have really no idea of which they're talking. Notice again in verse 13, they will receive the wages of unrighteousness. They will receive them. Just like those that party in the daytime. This is what they're doing. They're going to receive the wages of unrighteousness. In the Phillips translation, he translates it this way. Their wickedness has earned them an evil end and they will be paid in full. Again, in verse 13, their spots and blemishes. Remember when an offering was to be offered to the Lord, it was to be offered without spot nor blemish. Jesus himself, the spotless lamb, offered once and for all for the forgiveness of your sins and mine as the sacrifice. But these are spots. They're blemishes. They're exactly the opposite of what you would expect. Notice verse 14. Their eyes are full of adultery. And that cannot cease from sin. Eyes filled with adultery. This is not only spiritual adultery, but also physical, sexually. They're hyped up sexually in their lives, taking advantage, perhaps even drawing you ladies, or perhaps even drawing you young men into a relationship sexually that is absolutely against the heart of God for your life. Because that's all they're thinking, to take advantage. Not only that, notice it says in verse 14, they beguile or entice unstable souls. And I was thinking, we certainly are living in a time of instability, of uncertainty, which just reminds me that we're all in a very vulnerable place. And we need to truly have our guards up in walking with the Lord. Because this vulnerability, this instability, makes us vulnerable to being enticed. And remember, we have a threefold enemy, don't we? We are battles against the world system, the flesh, and the devil. And while the devil wants to see you destroyed, most people that have been destroyed over the years have not been destroyed by the devil at all, but by, th- by enticing their own flesh, or indulging in their own flesh from the enticements of the world. And taking upon, the, thinking, you know what, this doesn't apply to me. Uh, and maybe getting away with it once or twice. And thinking, well, you know, if I haven't been judged right now and I haven't been caught, then, I, then I'm okay. But I always want you to remember, I don't want you to ever forget this. Whenever you start thinking this, well, you know, I haven't been caught and, you know, I got away with it. And, you know, here I am. I always want you to add the word yet. I want you to remember, you go, well, you know, I haven't been caught yet. It hasn't been revealed yet. It hasn't been exposed yet. 
Because God will not be mocked. For what a man soweth, that he will reap. You sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. And God won't be mocked. And so in that instability, that necessity of abiding in Christ more and placing more emphasis on resting and abiding in Christ is so important because this phrase beguiling in my translation says beguiling unstable souls. Just think of this. You can circle that phrase if you like and just write next to it every single cult and false teacher, this is their operation. This is exactly how they operate. They smell out and are trained to see instability and they take full advantage of it. Or, or, or if a person isn't unstable, they will lead you down a series of questions and comments and observations to make you unstable, to cause you to doubt what you believe, to cause you to doubt the fellowship family you're a part of, to cause you to doubt the word of God, to cause you to doubt what you believe and what you've been taught and what the Bible clearly says with these crafty words. And they entice you. And notice, here's the conclusion in verse 15, after calling them accursed children, they say, then he says in verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and have gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Verse 17, these are wells without water, Clouds carried by a tempest to whom the gloom of darkness is reserved forever. So now he describes him to the Old Testament prophet Balaam. Balaam was a prophet for prophets, P-R-O-F-I-T. He was using his position as a man of God for his own selfish prophets. You'll recall in Numbers, you can read it later for homework in Numbers chapter 22, Balak the king had heard about Balaam and asked him to come and curse the people of Israel for him. And and Balaam was stopped in his tracks by an angel sent by God. His donkey tries to warn him, but they end up arguing. You know, this is the guy that argues with his own donkey. Finally, he sees the angel and he stops. But although he stops physically, his evil ways don't. And rather than cursing the people as requested, he teaches Balak how to, throw a, how to destroy the people by throwing a pagan party to what? Entice the men of Israel into sexual sin. Balaam's ways were wicked and evil and destructive at their core. And Peter says the same greed that motivated Balaam to destroy people's lives is the same motivation upon these false teachers wanting to take advantage of believers in their most vulnerable time of persecution and difficulty. He says in verse 17, they're wells without water. You know, when I think of wells without water, when when I think of uh, where it says, again, clouds carried by a tempest, the gloom of darkness reserved forever, I, I think of a wells without water, disappointment. I think of a mirage. You know, you're thirsty in the desert and you kind of see water in or a capped up well and you go, finally, finally, finally. And you're, you're just, wa- your mouth is watering. It's just waiting and anticipating and you open it up and it's empty. 
It wasn't what was promised. They have great swelling words of emptiness, verse 18. Great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through licentiousness, the ones that have actually escaped from those who live in error. And I was reading again afresh today, right before I came uh, into the sanctuary. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through licentiousness. I, I think this one verse describes the whole empty prosperity gospel, which neither is prosperous or the gospel. But they allure through the flesh. They take advantage of this sense in us of wanting more. Uh, they, they tap into that part of us that are greedy and, and just kind of thinking. It's almost like the pros- those that teach in that realm, they take advantage of the same um, feeling why people buy lottery tickets. Or they're just like, man, I, I, can, I can give and the promise to get much back. And the only ones that are profitable are the ones that are taking the money. I mean, because if, if, if you think about, if you think about in its almost just very simplistic way of the false teaching of the prosperity teachers, if you just think of it in its most simplistic way, the thought process is this. Somehow they have a special anointing. Somehow they have a special line to God. Somehow through the prosperity you see them, the cars they drive, the clothes they wear, the things they say, because of that, they say this, it, you can tap into our prosperity this way. You can actually share in our prosperity this way. You can become like us this way. Send us your money. And as you send us your money, all of a sudden something supernatural will happen and a millionfold increase will come your way. And really what, what they need to be saying is send us your money as we steal from you we will become more prosperous while you become poor and we'll continue to lie to you until you stop sending us money. That's really the essence of their ministry. And it really ticks me off because I'm on a variety of different levels. You can see, you can read chapter two and you're like, man, I think Peter's ticked off. I think he is. I think the Holy Spirit is using a righteous anger to go, you know, you guys are vulnerable. You're on the run. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Add to your faith. Continue to love one another and watch out because you are in such a dangerous place of people that want to rip you off and they're going to take advantage of your flesh. I think in our day and age, there are people that want to take advantage of your fears and your anxieties and the difficulty of the world in which you live, drawing you to themselves there's a licentiousness that is alluring and enticing, uh, like a special knowledge. It's almost like a, the Gnostic heresy that the book of Colossians was written. Like, like some people only have the knowledge that you need and it's a special knowledge and you need to know it and they're the only ones that have it. When we've already learned back in chapter one, remember, we have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of Christ. Through learning about and learning Him and following Him. And so be careful, church, in your own vulnerabilities and in your own difficulties. It's not just, again, we looked at this last time, it's not just false teachers out there, but we've had our fair share and we'll continue to have our fair share of false teachers in here. They'll come through. They'll sit right next to you. They'll come into your home. They'll invite you for pie across the street. They'll want to get to know you. They'll want to buddy up with you. And it'll seem just very appealing. It'll seem very encouraging. 
But then you'll begin to hear like, man, that just doesn't sound right. No, that just doesn't seem right. And your flesh will be stirred up and they'll begin to draw you after themselves. They're wells without water. Notice he says in verse 19, this is key. While they promise liberty, let me just say something. Nobody can promise you liberty. It's only the sun that sets you free. And when the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I cannot promise you liberty. I can only point you to the one who gives, the one that will free you, the one that will release you, the one that will empower you. It is not a church, and it's not a Bible study, and it's not a special song. We gather together. God has created the environment of gathering together so that we might collectively get our eyes back on the Lord, if only for a few moments. You know, you think about some of you, I know for some of you, perhaps even those of you online or on the radio right now, like you didn't make it into fellowship. You're listening by a distance right now. Why? Because you had a hard day where most of the day your eyes were not on the Lord. You were just wrestling and struggling and it was a battle. It was hard at work. It was hard at home. It was hard in singleness. It was hard with the court case. It was hard. It was hard. And then some of you, you're able to make it into fellowship. You go, well, you know, I just want to be in the atmosphere. Like, man, Ed, I'm just, I just want to be around other believers. I just want to be encouraged. Don't really want to talk to anybody. Don't really, but I want to be encouraged. I want to be, I want to be where the Lord is. I want to be where he's happening, the praise. I just want to be there. I want to connect by technology. I want to turn on the radio because I need to be reminded of the freedom that's mine in Christ. Because you can live all day and just feel so much in bondage. I mean, so deep in bondage, just so held back. When you think of the word bondage, I want you to think of the word shackled, just so removed from the progress that God, and there are those that will promise liberty while at the same time, verse 19, notice, they themselves are slaves of corruption, or you could say depravity. They're living in sin, promising you freedom, and they can't even walk in freedom themselves. And that's not someone you want to be listening to or following. Slaves of corruption, if you follow them, you'll become like them. Remember Jesus, he condemned the religious rulers of the day, saying, hey, you know what? You're laying heavy burdens on people that you yourself are not able to carry. You're leading people blind who are going to be, lead the blind into where? The ditch. They're both going to be falling into the ditch. Listen, only Jesus promises and delivers freedom. And sometimes it's the bondage that you're in that gets taken advantage of. That's the weakness in your life. Sometimes it's a very noticeable, noticeable weakness. Someone where you're sharing your heart, wanting somebody to pray with you about it. And they're taking advantage of your vulnerability and asking for prayer. So many false teachers are abounding with their own personal agendas, just teaching flat out nonsense, unbiblical nonsense. And I'm telling you, the bondage will hold you back from God's best for your life. It'll keep you in a position of always feeling like you're battling and struggling. Even today's as the radio program was ending and the sister called in uh, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I mean, just so grateful. Uh, Calvary Live is on so many more stations now and across the country. And we're getting these calls for the very first time from folks that have never heard the program. And, 
And she was talking about, and I want you to pray for her because I talked to her after the show and I sent her into the Calvary Chapel there. And, um, and, and she was talking about the struggle that she has and how she loves God. And perhaps some of you heard it. She loves God and, and yet at the same time, she just isn't surrendering. She has all this knowledge, even, emo- even emotions related to God, but she hasn't surrendered. And, and the Lord was very gracious to talk to her. Well, then if you're not following God and you're not wanting to follow God and you're not living a life that pleases God and you're not ready to, to be born again, you're not ready to surrender, then, then where is that energy going? Where, where are you? Obviously, you're in great turmoil and great struggle. So, so the Lord led me to ask her the question, where is that going? And wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? She was in bondage to unforgiveness. Deep, deep unforgiveness over deep, deep pain. So deep that even off the air, she didn't share with me what it was. But she affirmed that that's exactly where she is. You know, bondage will hold you back from God's best. When you choose a route that, man, you're, you're just stuck and you're unwilling to surrender. There are people that will prey on that, P-R-E-Y. They'll take advantage of you because of the bondage in your life. And these are those Peter said. They had him in the first century and they still exist now into the 21st century. And they will until the coming of the Lord. Notice in verse 20 as we wind down here, he says, for after they escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it's happened to them according to the true proverb, but dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow or a sow having washed to her own wallowing in the mire. It's a harsh description, a very difficult description about these false teachers. And it, unfortunately, it's brought up so, con- so much confusion and controversy, you just missed the point. And I think the point is, is like there is a great judgment waiting false teachers. There is a great judgment awaiting unrepentant false teachers. There is a great judgment awaiting those that are teaching falsely, taking advantage of people's vulnerabilities, alluring them sinfully, all of that we read. Remember, let me give you 12 things that, they, that describe them. One, they speak evil of things that don't understand. They will utterly perish in their own corruption. They receive wages of unrighteousness. They carouse in their own deceptions. They have eyes filled with adultery. They cannot cease from sin. They beguile or entice unstable souls. They have forsaken the right way. Number nine, they have gone astray. Number 10, they speak great swelling words of emptiness. 11, they allure through the lust of the flesh. And then finally, they promise liberty. They're slaves of their own corruption. If they die in this condition, it would have been better for them to never know. They're going to receive a stricter judgment for not only their rejection and rebellion against God and resisting Jesus, but using Jesus for their own end. It's a stricter judgment. But the controversy over this section, it comes up from time to time, is this idea of the security of the believer. 
And some will bring you to this text and say, see, see, it says right here, you can lose your salvation. Well, careful reading, it says, nowhere does that say that, anywhere in this text. It doesn't say anywhere. It just gives a great warning to false teachers. And questions surround, and I think it's important just to address it briefly again, about whether you can lose your salvation. So let's, let me just be clear on its most simplest level. The Bible teaches us that eternal salvation is eternal. That's why it's called eternal. <laughs> it, it lasts the same word to describe salvation is the same word that's used to describe God. Eternal. There are two types of people mentioned in this text. Two types of people. Number one, there are true believers. They're the ones being attacked, being enticed. They're the ones on the run. They're the ones that Peter's writing to. They're the ones that he's encouraging. They're the ones that were the first letter and now the second letter. And then the second group are the false teachers. False teachers, notice, escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They escaped. Now, what does that mean exactly, escaped? Well, pollution, I think, is a very key word. Let me bring it to, especially what we've been experiencing here in Denver for a while, uh, you know, smog. And the dirt that's in the air. You know, when you, when you think of pollution, that's an outward, that's an outward defilement. It dirties you on the outside. Now, of course, you can make the argument that you can breathe it in. But for the most part, most part what he's describing is the pollution of the world, the outward influences. And so at, time, at, at times, all of us as believers, we can continually, even as believers, be polluted by the world, tripped up, entangled in some kind of sin. But the thing that believers have that unbelievers don't have is that unbelievers can have a cleansing of the outside. They can have a moral awakening. They could even have a religious experience and still not be born again. There are many well, there are many well-meaning belie- or more well-meaning men and women that are really attempting to live an upright and moral life but disconnected from God. They're not born again. They're living just based on wanting to be a good person and wanting to do good deeds. What the believer has is not just a cleansing on the outside, but a true cleansing on the inside. A false teacher only escapes the outward pollutions of this world, but not its sinful inward corruptions. While a true believer not only is is cleansed on the outside, but immediately receives a new nature so that you can say with Paul, I am a new creation in Christ. All things have been passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A new nature, clean from the inside out. That's why when we come back and kind of tie this up, where the promise of liberty from false teachers is not the same promise of liberty from Jesus because only Jesus can change you on the inside. And when he does, he sets you free. Now, whether you choose to live by faith in the power of God is truly the direction of your life. That's the direction your life will take. But that's why I believe, Christians, you don't have to be in bondage to anything you can freely walk away from those things that have held you back. That includes any substance. That includes any addiction. That includes any overwhelming sin. And it doesn't have to be a a change all of a sudden, I resolve to leave this behind, but rather a simple choice to trust God in the moment. 
to trust God in the moment. I mean, some of you have a truly, let me, let's, let's speak on, a, uh, on an easy thing. Some of you listening to me right now, you have a very foul mouth. You have really foul things that come out of your mouth at work, come out of your mouth perhaps at home, or maybe you've reduced it now. The only time you have foul things come out of your mouth is in your car with the windows up. And you've made some great improvement. Now you're not cussing anywhere but your car and your head. And you look at that and you think, you know, that's just who I am. That's who I am. I'm just a cusser. And I especially have an affinity for the F-bomb, you might say. That's my favorite word. Well, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been delivered from that foul mouth. You've been delivered. You don't have to use those kind of words anymore that are filthy, that are coarse jesting, that are harmful, that, that are just not conducive with the Spirit of God in your life. You, you, aren't, you, you, you are no longer bound by that. And, and you're thinking, well, you know what, Ed, what I need is I need to be delivered all of my life. That's what I need. I, I just, God, deliver me for the rest of my life. And so you've set it up in such a way where you think, okay, if God's going to deliver me for the next 40 years of my life. And then you drive home from church. I mean, literally, you're driving home from church. Literally, you're right out here. You just turn. Somebody cuts you off. And what are you doing in your car? Dropping the F-bomb on the guy that cut you off. And you're like, oh, Lord, I thought you'd deliver me for the rest of my life. I can't believe you didn't deliver me the rest of my life. And then you just kind of give up on walking by faith because then you resolve, well, here I am. just always going to be a cusser. That's my life. I'm just really not free from it. It's just going to be one of my vices. It's going to be who I am. Not so. Not so because you're approaching it in the wrong way. God, he's wanting you not to worry about the future with your foul mouth. Just abide in him right now. And most of you in this room, have not cussed for the last 90 minutes. Maybe some of you have got the words swirling around your head, or maybe I used, I, I, I then said something and it triggered in you and you just said it in your head or whatever, I don't know. But most of you, you were able to get an hour and a half without any type of word in your mind or your mouth, but you just take it for granted. That that was the power of God in your life, not you. It wasn't you. You go, Ed, you don't understand. I've just been so good. I don't do that anymore. No, if you're a born-again believer, you have been changed by God. It is his nature, his work in you that has cleaned your mouth up, cleaned your mind up, sobered you up, kept you away from licentiousness and sin. And so we need to change our thinking because right thinking is going to, read to, right, to lead to right living, right? We need to change our thinking and begin to give God the glory for the great things he has done and freeing us from our bondages, moment by moment, day by day. And anytime somebody comes up after service and is excited about their sobriety, I'm always excited when somebody comes up, whether they're showing me a chip or they're sharing with me, it's been a day, two months. When somebody comes up, even today, they just say, hey, Pastor, you know what I'm saying? It's been three months. And I'm like, three months you've been sober? Praise the Lord. That is awesome. And remember when it was a day? Yep. Remember when it was three days? I do. Remember it was a week? Yes. And I go, this is what God's doing in your life. Days become weeks. Weeks become months, months become years, and years become a lifetime. 
Look at what God is doing. Three months. I was three months now. I was three months at one time. And it's been 30 years now. 30 years of the life-giving work of Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to be in bondage. Because God has changed you from the inside out. You have the Spirit of God. Unbelievers do not have the Spirit of God in them. They don't have the power. When you're saved, you have the Spirit of God bearing witness with you. You have eternal life. Yes, for those that continue in this falsehood and false teaching and die in their sin, verse 21, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. It would have been better. There is a heavier judgment. They're just like, verse 22, the dog that returns to its own vomit, which is disgusting, by the way. Disgusting. Or like the pig, having been all washed up, goes right back to the mud. Friend, I want you to know today, in Jesus Christ, you are safe and secure The best place on the planet earth for you is to be found hidden in Christ. And as you walk through this life, you can walk with strength, with purpose, and through the Spirit. And you can look at somebody in the eye even today and give testimony. You can say, God has delivered me, and you fill in the blanks. There may be few people who go, oh, what do you mean? I was just parting with you last week. Yeah, that's the dramatic change that God has done in my life. Oh, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I'll I'll believe it when I see it. Well, you just watch my life because I'm going to live moment by moment in the strength of the Lord. I'm going to trust him with my life. I'm going to do what's important and keep my eyes firmly fixed on him no matter what comes my way. You look at the strength and purpose you have in life and then you begin to look around and say, hey, you know, what about so-and-so? Look at their life. Man, they look like they're living for the devil. Well, maybe they're still loyal to the devil. You need to pray for them. Maybe that's just their deal. Because I believe there is always true change in the believer's life. Don't worry about the other guy anyway. What about you? (laughs) There's a lot of people that send confusing messages and you go, does that what believers do and that what Christians do? And it can be very confusing. But that's only because we're watching people instead of watching the Lord. Jesus Christ will never confuse you. His life will never cause you to stumble. He'll never cause you to fall. Jesus will never lead you in a ditch. And even if you find yourself in a ditch, you'll find Jesus there with you to deliver you and to bring you out. You can trust him with your life. It's so important, church, that you know the truth, that you read your Bible every day and pray every day. They draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That you live in the truth and you reject false teachings and false teachers you know when they show up to your door just say no thanks no thank you don't even let them start their spiel don't let them hand you I know because they prey on that that kindness that you have that genuineness and I mean unless you really know the scriptures and you're very mature and even in my own studies those guys are so well trained they must have my address after a while they say don't go back there but then after a while they say send the strongest one to him And they're really well-trained. You just sit there and go, man, that you made up a good one there. (laughs) And if you're not in that, most of us aren't. Just say, no, thank you. Oh, but Ed, Ed, I want to share the gospel with them. Look, 
Leave it to the Lord. Commit them to the Lord. You keep your eyes on the Lord. You stay focused. You stay committed. Because remember this. Wherever God is doing a wonderful and glorious work, the enemy is not too far behind trying to destroy it. It's true for you, and it's true for me. So Father, we do pray for your protection in our minds that we would know the word of God where your spirit will bear witness with our spirits of the truth of the word, that we would not be so easily tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, that God, we would not be disobedient in raising up for ourselves teachers that would tickle our ears or whatever the motive might be. Protect us from false teachers, from confusion. And we do pray for our new friend in Fort Lauderdale, God. We pray that you would enable her to receive your forgiveness so that she might then extend it. She's just backwards a little bit, Lord. I know you know that. But Lord, she's right there. We pray for her soul. We pray for the pain that she's been carrying, whatever it might be, so deep, so deeply wounded. I pray for the wounds of those in our church right now. I know they've scabbed over, and in some ways they've healed up a bit, but they have these lingering consequences in our hearts and our minds. And we just seem to be like, it's not just people with big issues that limp around, it's all of us having been damaged by sin, having been damaged by sin of others, having been damaged by the pollution of this world. And we're all just kind of limping along in our walk, in our run, following you. So I just pray for the hurt. I mean, even a prayer is not going to remove it. It's not going to go away. But I do pray, God, that you would heal that beautiful balm of Gilead. It would just bring healing and comfort. I pray for those that feel abandoned by their dad, by their mom. Such a hurtful thing. I pray for parents that are hurt by their prodigal kids that are watching it all unfold with great pain. I pray for marriages that have been dissolved. I pray for poor kiddos that have been violated. I pray for those that have been betrayed. Those battling even COVID tonight, wondering if it's ever going to end, if their breathing will come back. So much, Lord. It's just cause us to be unstable. So give us that stability Bring us back to a basic, simple faith in you that we might be all that you've called us to be and that we would enjoy life. There is joy on the journey. And so restore joy where it's been lacking in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.